up until the fourth century, everybody who followed the Messiah did this. If you really think about it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an awesome ex- experience. It's an awesome responsibility. It's a wonderful joy to be able to return to the true path, right? <clears throat> Let us say the uh, blessing of the study of Torah together, and we're going to review some, some points, as it were. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Yisrael. Amen. Wonderful. Baruch Hashem. I'm so proud of so many who uh, last night led <coughs> a Seder for the very first time. When they took the great plunge, they decided to take a step out and just know that you say, you might say, I don't know, uh, there might be somebody out there possibly who's thinking to themselves, it wasn't perfect. It's never perfect. We have a whole new appreciation for you. Oh, well, yeah. thank you. Uh, Todar Bob, but... Uh, we all, uh, we all uh, you know, it, it, it's a learning process for everybody. It was uh, getting ready to have the second cup until I realized I'm not wearing my kittel. <laughs> and then my fateful, uh, I, ha- we have, I happen to have a zake in there. I won't say which one. <laughs> and as I'm getting ready to have the second cup and putting my kittel on, I look at him and I said, man, I didn't have my kittel on. Oh, what's wrong with me? And he says, well, I noticed that, but I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> See something, say something. How, how many times do you have to say that? <clears throat> no. <clears throat> he didn't wear his because I wasn't wearing mine. <laughs> so, I know, right? It's like, that's when you don't follow your rabbi. <laughs> But it's all good. It's all good. It was all wonderful, Baruch Hashem. So be encouraged. A couple things I want to point out about the readings. I was just thinking about, here's Moshe talking to the children of Israel. First, by the way, if you're first-time guest, like I see some new faces. It's very um, much an honor to have you. And I see your new face online, too. It's good to have you, too, Baruch Hashem. <laughs> Clairvoyant like that. Um... But here's Moshe, he's talking to the children of Israel about the Pesach lamb. There's some people, there's many people, in fact, who say, you know, all this oral Torah, it's all, you know, it's all nonsense because it's not written down in the, in the Word of God. It's not in the Scriptures. Well, at the time that Moses was telling the people what to do, there was nothing written down. <laughs> and they, they hadn't heard God's voice because Moses was coming to them and saying, this is what God just told me to tell you. And with that, we're going to say our Elaine. <laughs> so think about it. And then there's a whole uh, discussion in a lot of the apostolic letters about the non-Jews who are coming in, and they're not yet circumcised, but some have gone through mikvah, and we're going to get to that in a second. And I'm going to actually be talking about Acts chapter 10 in a second. But, and, 
how, how are we supposed to accept this? I mean, they've been to the mikvah, they're not circumcised, the Ruach HaKodesh has fallen upon them, Kaph is confused, but he's got to accept it because it's what God said, doesn't know what's going on, and so where's the precedent for that? We just read it in the book of Joshua. Mikael was reading the entire book of Joshua. <laughs> <clears throat> Which is good, because I hadn't read Joshua in a long time, so I got the whole <laughs> thing, recap. But uh, Joshua came into the Holy Land, and he said he circumcised them a second time, not meaning that they had been circumcised, because you can't circumcise again, you know what I'm saying? So they circumcised for the first time. <laughs> Hazan's like, amen, you know. Uh, so... They circumcised because why? Because they were in the wilderness. They were in the wilderness. What does wilderness uh, represent? Represents exile. There's confusion in the wilderness. There's not a lot of clarity. But God provides for us in the wilderness. But they weren't circumcised in the wilderness. Were they Jews in the wilderness? Yes. Were they called the children of Israel in the wilderness? Yes. And yet we were uncircumcised. And, the real, and, and, and the, as a result, we did not bring the Pesach offering in the wilderness. We had to wait until we were completely redeemed. And at what time did we become redeemed? Completely. We're forgiven and everything when we passed over the river into the land. You don't, you, once you pass over, once you cross over, that's when the circumcision happens. And th th but it doesn't say that they went all their lives about, without being circumcised. They came to eat the Pesach lamb because you cannot eat of the Pesach lamb until you are circumcised. The Pesach lamb, you're not able to do that. Also, notice it says in Joshua, it says the very next day after Passover, they ate the roasted grain. That's why we count the Omer from the second day of Passover. And that's where the confirmation is. The confirmation is from the book of Joshua. So everybody says, well, it has, must be on the Sunday right after the Sabbath. No, the book of Joshua says they ate the grain the following day after Pesach, which is why we count the Omar tonight after Havdalah. <coughs> so uh, what's, what's significant about Passover, right? So many things, um, uh, everything. Uh, you know, we, I, I did an entire week of, of preparing your heart for Passover for the Aliyah day. And, uh, and it was, um, it, we barely even scratched the surface. I, I don't think I got past the four cups. I'm trying to, I'm still working on that. But there's so much more. And I, I, I uh, told everybody at our Seder, just take, all, take your Haggadah home. Because I, there's going to be a new one rise up to, next year. <laughs> so, because there's so much, I want to add to it and everything, and um, and uh, Rebbe said, "Well, just put some inserts in there, stuff you left out." I'm like, "Well, it'd be like, uh, you know, here's the inserts, and then here's the Haggadah." So, can't do that. But um, I want to go to something here because. Um, I want to tie in a bunch of different things. It kind of these are these, hopefully aren't seemingly that, that, that doesn't come across too random. But Passover, the Passover seder is obviously, as many of you know, a critical seder, a critical holiday. Everything, every other holiday finds its kedusha in Pesach, and we have Yeshua. We have two messiahs, right? Messiah ben Yosef. Messiah bin David. And there, therefore, there's a two-step process to, to salvation. The Messiah has to come and suffer, and then the Messiah 
is going to come and reign. And likewise, there's a two-part process to bring about complete atonement. And so it's seemingly confusing to people because you have Yeshua who shows up in, in Nisan where the Passover lamb is being sacrificed, and he is the Passover lamb. Now, remember, he's the Akedah, so all other offerings have to reflect him. He doesn't reflect them. So when somebody says, well, he wasn't the Passover lamb because this, 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 and this, of this, all those details didn't occur to him. It's like, no, no, no. No, you're getting it backwards. The Passover lamb has to reflect him, not the other way around. He doesn't have to reflect it because we don't worship the lamb, right? Now, the lamb was the... Uh, I'm just going to talk. Can I talk? Okay, here we go. <clears throat> so the lamb, the lamb was... Um, the lamb... The lamb was the principal deity of Egypt, which is why the Egyptians hated shepherds. So Mashiach being the Passover lamb is interesting because, wait a minute, are you saying that he's become the, the item of idolatry? Well, no, but then again, yes. Because all of our hopes and dreams are in man. Think about it. What did Israel want when they got in the Holy Land? They had God as their king, but what do we want? We wanted a king like who? Like the nations. Idolatry, my friends, is ultimately mankind. The statue is just representation, whether it be stone or wood or metal, of us. Because by us making our own gods, what we really are saying is, I'm God. So therefore, by putting a man on the crucifixion, and letting that hope and dream die, it's like putting the lamb up there of our idolatry and saying we no longer trust in that mortal reality. We, we believe in something that transcends that. Amen. We believe in Hashem. Now, as I was saying in the Aliyah, preparing your heart for Passover, the atonement, the, the forgiveness of sin, the sin offering is a goat at Yom Kippur. And there were two goats, of course. There was one that would be sacrificed to Hashem. There was one that was the scapegoat. We would confess our sins over that goat. That goat was not sacrificed. It was taken out to the de desert and thrown off of a cliff and killed. Not in a holy way. It's true. So that's what happened to the goat. And we have Yeshua and Barabbas. Yeshua was taken to be sacrificed to Hashem, and Barabbas was let free. But he didn't go free. He was later, by tradition we understand, he was killed later. He died. And so this is the atonement happens. That's the atonement goat. So you can say, well, wait a minute. He's not the Passover lamb because who takes away the sins of the world. What does that mean? Because the lamb doesn't take away sin. It's the goat that takes away sin, right? Right. So I went to Walmart the other day, and I, I took a cup. And I was going to make that cup part of my sanctified cups at the home. But on the way to my car, I bypassed, I just went ahead and bypassed the registers. And I walked out the front door with the cup. Was it my cup? If, if I had made it without them notice, noticing and therefore calling the police on me for stealing a cup, which I would not be prosecuted for in Dallas because it was under $750. And I need it. The Lord is in need of this. Um, 
But if I took that cup without paying for it and took it home to be used for sacramental service and I was going to sanctify it by toveling it in a mikvah, am I able to do that? Why? Because I don't own the cup. Right? You can't sanctify something you don't own. Which is why Yeshua came as the Lamb of God in order to redeem us so that he owns us now. Now he can sanctify us. Is he a sin offering? Absolutely, because he's the, he's the Lamb of God and the goat of God. As it says in the book of Joel, chapter 2 and verse 23, Be glad, O people of Zion, rejoice in Hashem your God, for he has given you a teacher of righteousness, and he sends you abundant rain, both the early rain and the late rain in the first month. That's from the Stones edition. So wait a minute, the prophet Joel is telling us something kind of cryptically here. He's sending us a teacher of righteousness, that's the, that's the Messiah, and a lot of commentators believe that that's the reference to the Mashiach, the moray, and the, the word moray is related to the word for rain. So our Messiah reigns, reigns as in king, and then rains down blessing upon us like the, like the rains. And he's going to give us the former rain, that is the early rain, and the latter rain, or the late rain, in the first month. I feel the rain. You know this was coming. <laughs> I feel it falling down on me. I feel the rain. I feel the rain. Come on. I feel it falling down on me. We're going to do this. The latter and the former rain together. Uh. And I'm not talking about the weather. Oh, no. I feel the Holy Ghost rain is falling down on me. Mm, never forget that psalm as long as I live. So, <clears throat> I, Mikael need to sing that song. That's a Mikael song right there. But I'm going to give you the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. Now, what is this an allusion to? The former rain and latter rain is an allusion to the two cycles of festivals. We have the spring festivals, which is uh, Pesach and Shavuot. They're connected. The center sacrifice, the center offering of that cycle is the Lamb of God, the former rain. And the fall is... Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. The center offering of that, the nucleus of that cycle, is the atonement goat. So God's promise is, is I'm going to send you a teacher of righteousness who's going to give you the former, the lamb, and the latter, the goat, in the first month, which is the month of Nisan. In other words, I'm going to give you redemption, and I'm going to give you atonement in the first month. And that's who and what Yeshua is to us. It's interesting if you look at the um, mitzvah 6 from Chinuk. Uh, he says about the Pesach lamb, or the Pesach offering, the Pesach is the only offering, he writes, regarding which the Torah establishes a separate mitzvah to partake of its meat. The only offering singled out, the only offering, the on, say only. only, the only offering singled out for a specific commandment regarding its consumption is the Pesach. The only offering that you have to 
eat of, and if you don't eat of it, you have no part in the people of God, is the Pesach lamb. All other off, there are other offerings of which you may eat. There are other offerings of which the priest may eat, but you're not required to eat it. And you're not required to eat a specific amount of it. But when it comes to the Pesach lamb, everybody is required to eat at least an egg size of the Pesach lamb. As it says here, in the notes, in the case of the Pesach, every, or rather each and every Jew is commanded to eat of it. You are not allowed not to eat of it. So the question becomes, why, why is this significant? Why is Yeshua significant to us? Based on that fact that we just learned from Halakha, we turn to John chapter 6. We turn to John chapter 6, and Yeshua makes an emphatic statement. Wonder why he's being so emphatic. John chapter 6, and be re reading from verse 27. Uh, incidentally, I'm reading from the, uh, just happened to be reading from the, the NIV this morning. Um, just know that in case it reads differently. There's no particular reason other than this is a Bible I've had for about 25 years, and it's got all kind of footnotes in it that I've written, Ron Bill. Uh, did I say John chapter 6? 26. Did I say it? No, no, no. I'm in the wrong place. Oh, no, I'm not. Here it is. I'm sorry. 26. Je Yeshua answered... I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miracles, miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked, by, by the way, that's not written anywhere. At the time he said it, it wasn't written anywhere. It was oral at that time and remained so for about a hundred years. But I digress. It says, Then they asked him, What must we do to do the work God requires? And Yeshua answered, The work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent, Amuna. But Amuna requires action. We've got that, we know that already. Because you could have believed God all day long when Moses said, Make the Make the, make the Passover sacrifice, but if you didn't actually put the blood on the doorpost and partake of it, you would have been dead. So it says in verse 30, So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe in you? What will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it's written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now Yeshua said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The sages also say one of the keys that only God has is the key of resurrection life. Yeshua has that key, put two and two together. It says here, 
Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Indeed, we want seven grain, holy honey. It says, then Yeshua declared, I am the bread of life who comes to me will never go hungry and who believes in me will never be thirsty. But by the way, what do we say at the Passover Seder? All who are hungry, let them come. This is a reference to Pesach. All, if you come to me, you won't be hungry. All who are hungry, we're not literally talking about people who are hungry. Hey, I'm hungry, it's time for the Seder. No, we're hungry for God. We're hungry for truth. We're hungry to know who Hashem is. All who are hungry. In fact, in the, in the insights to the Haggadah, it says that this is a reference, all who are hungry is a reference to those who long to eat of the afikomen. So it says here, But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come, come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. You can't come to the Mashiach unless the Father calls you to come. Which, if you come to the Mashiach and then you turn away from the Mashiach, you're ultimately turning away from God's call. I don't know about you, but I would rather not do that. Verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. There's the keys to the resurrection. It didn't say that God's going to raise him up. It says that he's going to raise us up. Verse 41. At this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Yeshua, the son of Yosef, whose father and mother we, mother we both know? How can we now say, I came down from heaven? Verse 43, stop grumbling among yourselves, Yeshua answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last days. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the father except the one who is from God. The sages teach about, um, about this aspect that Moses had ascended to the, 49, to the 49th level of purity. And the reason is because we in Mitzrayim had descended to the 49th level of impurity. And had we gone to the 50th level, we would not have been able to be saved because no man... can get to the 50th level because on that level you have to know God as he is known. And so God saved us at just the right time because Moses, being the redeemer at that moment, was the only one able to ascend. He couldn't go to the 50th level. It's, the sages actually write about to say that to be at the 50th level, you have to be somebody who, who knows God on like a 
personal, intimate. I've been there, done that, seen with my own eyes, seen him in all of his glory, know that in order to get to the 50th level. Because if you get to the 50th level, then you can redeem anybody and everybody no matter what level that they're at. So when he says, I tell the truth, whoever, or excuse me, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He's testifying, I'm at the 50th level, which is why I can save you, all the people who live before you, all the people who live after you, and even the people who were stillborn, and even the one who God gave them thought to creation, I still save them. That's what it says in the Midrash. I save everybody. Why? Because I'm at the 50th level, and there aren't any levels I can't. That's why he says he went down and got the, the keys of death in the grave. Because only he knows this. Now, we're just, this is just a preface. Says, no one has seen the Father except the one who's from God. Only he who has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Here we go. Remember, you have to eat of the Passover lamb. Say Passover lamb. You can't be in covenant with God without eating of it. Of the Passover lamb. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the desert, yet they, did, yet they died. And the sages say what? The afikoman, which represents that manna, right, is the Passover lamb. If you ate the afikoman last night, you ate the lamb. Amen. It says, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread... He will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Yeshua said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, the blood is the cup of the Passover Seder. The sage, listen, this is all Judaism right here. The, the, the blood of those four, the four cups of wine is the blood. In your blood live, in your blood live. What are the two bloods talking about? I'm glad you asked. The first blood is the blood of the lamb, and the second blood is the blood of your circumcision. Now, the blood of the lamb is the, is the money paid to purchase you. The circumcision is your proof of purchase. Now that he's got the proof of purchase, he owns you. Now he can sanctify you by making atonement for you. But you can't sanctify something you don't own. You have to be redeemed first. And he's saying right here, listen, just like the Passover lamb, if you don't eat of the Passover lamb, it's the only offering that you had to eat of, and it's the only one that you could, off you could offer yourself. In fact, you could say it's the only offering you had to offer yourself. But if you don't eat that flesh, you don't have any part in the kingdom of God. And Yeshua is saying, if you don't eat my flesh, you don't have a part of the kingdom of God. Is he the Passover lamb? And that's what he's saying, right? It's, 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 you got to put two and two together. The only offering you have to eat of is a Pesach lamb, and he's saying, you got to eat my flesh. There's no way to get around it. It says here, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. That just simply means it's, it's, it's the only thing that really matters, the only thing that really true. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him, just as the living Father sent me and I live because the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. 
The one who feeds on me will live because of me. Will live because of me. Once you own something, you can do with it what you want. See, the most important thing about being the Lamb of God is the most important thing. That, the, the most important thing is redemption. He will live because of me. Why? Because I've redeemed you. God has redeemed you, redeemed us. And as a result, once you own something, you can shine it up, you can perfect it, you can mix it, you can cleanse it. And what we have to understand is we've been, this is why Kepha said you've been brought, bought with a price. He, 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 he says you've been bought with a price. And he says, like the precious blood of the Passover lamb. Why? That was the, that was the purchase price. This is why we're not, we don't live unto ourselves. This is why you, we can't do whatever we want to do. We have certain cups. You all do. We all have kiddish cups in our house, or you should. If you don't have one, we have them in the, in the fig tree. <laughs> for sale after a half dollar. But that cup is not to be used for just any reason. You don't put Diet Coke in that cup. Hopefully you don't put that in anything, but... You don't put other stuff in there. That's not your sippy cup. I know you all got a sippy cup. Shalom's got a sippy cup. I've seen it. <laughs> so it says here, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, I, I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven your forefathers ate manna and died, but the one who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, if you've been to Capernaum in the synagogue, you look out what used to be the front door, and about, oh, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 feet away is Cephas house, the biggest house in Capernaum, all right? And beyond Cephas' house, about another 50, 60 yards, is the beach where Yeshua called Kepha, because that's where he was running his fishing business, Kepha's Fishery. <laughs> and he had his tagline was, get you some. <laughs> the first time that Yeshua called Kepha, he was at the water. He was at the water. And so there he is teaching about this in the synagogue in Capernaum. And there's right Kepha's hometown. They're probably going to go have Oneg at his house after this is all over. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Many of his disciples, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. There's many people who want all the glory. They want all the nuance. They want all the excitement. When it comes to the rubber meeting the road and doing something, they're out. Oh, some of the disciples say, we can't do all this. No, no, we're, we're, not, we're not. They got online, read some articles, and said, no, this, based on what he said, we can't find that in Scripture. It says, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Yeshua said to them, does this offend you? Do I offend you? <laughs> really? I mean, think about, think about what the Messiah just asked. 
this, this offend you? My teaching offend you? Goes against what you want? Did I, did I say a trigger word? Do I need to find you a safe space? He says, what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Oh, you realize what he's saying? This is a you. How about this? How about I just go ahead and ascend to Shemayim? Right? Would, would you believe if I did that for you? If I put on a big show, would you believe? <clears throat> How about I just rise before you at this moment? Because you don't believe when I heal the guy of leprosy. You don't believe when I heal the lame guy. You don't believe when I open the deaf ears and open the blind eyes. You don't believe when I walked on water. How about I do something extra for you so you believe? And many people do that. God brings them to a place just like this, has done everything for them, and something is said that they don't like and they're out. The Spirit gives life, he says. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Yeshua had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and would betray him. Of course, he's talking about Judas, who was going to dip with the Messiah in the Maror. Or dip, maybe, the salt water, the carpus. You know, and... I just want to say something here because we were having a discussion, Talmud Eman and, and I were having a discussion, and, and, and Mikael brought this out, that the word carpus is related to the, to the name Kepha. And Yeshua said, the one who dips with me. You know, Kepha might have been thinking, we're going to get to Kepha here in a second, he might have been thinking that, you know, my name is related to carpus, and when he dipped, he might have been talking to me because I was going to end up betraying him, and in fact, I did betray him. He called me at the water, and I lost my life at the water. He called me at the water, but when he dipped into the salt water, I blew it. It says here, This is why I told you, he says, that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. See, we think this is all our choice. The thing is, you were called for right here which is really exciting because God wanted you. God called your soul from Ganadin and said, I have a mission for you. There's going to be a movement called Lapid, and it's going to be a revival of what I started so many years ago, and I need you to go be a part of that because you have what it takes to do just that. If you're here, it's because you've been selected. It's like, the, it's like a special group of commandos in World War II. You've been selected to go behind enemy lines. You say, I don't know if I could do this. See, all of you commandos, y'all like ninjas last night, leading those satyrs and, and at those satyrs. I got the police reports. It's ridiculous. Fire Chief Spears called me. He said, Is it, what's going on? The whole city's aglow. <laughs> he says in verse 66, From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Wow. Wow. From this time. Can you imagine? I want you to think about this. 
How disappointed we are when our friends and family won't follow us in this journey. And then even sad, more sad, when people come to the shul, stay for a while, and then leave. And we get down on the mat. And trust me, I mean, we're all depressed about it. And we wish it wasn't so. And man, you just, you're just like, God, why? God, why? And Yeshua shows up and says, well, actually, I had a bunch of people follow me, and they all left. I mean, if they leave the Mashiach, right, right. who am I? Like, I'm just some punk, you know? <laughs> says here, verse 67, he says, You do not want to leave too, do you? Yeshua asked the 12. Asked his 12. He's got 12 left. The Messiah <laughs> has 12 left. People would be calling him a failed synagogue. He's got 12 left. And he turns to them and says, Do you also want to leave? Now, I love Kepha's answer. This is one of the reasons why I, I want to work out with Kepha. That's when I will get back to the gym with Kepha. Here's, here's my boy, because he's in his hometown. You know, all, you know, a lot of his friends and family just walked out the door. People who respected him because he's a big business owner, got the biggest house in town. He watches them all walk out the door, filing out. And Yeshua looks at him and the 12 and says, do you also want to leave? And Kepha, God, I love Kepha. He says, Adonai, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Wow. They can walk out the door. Go on, go on down, go on down. Get out. I'm staying right here. He says, we believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. I want you to see how Kepha, no pun intended, was swimming upstream. Because Everybody just left. He, don't you know he might have been a pariah in his hometown? As he's walking to the kosher market and they're in Capernaum, people are whispering, there's that guy, he's an idol worshiper, believes in that, believes in that false messiah, Hasbeth Shalom, who wants to eat his flesh. Look at him, Kepha. Kepha might have walked through. You mind if I dobbin with you today? Nope, nope, uh, nope, no dobbining today. No dobbing today. What we don't know is Kepha just took him out back and wore him out. All right, listen, I want to I get to a couple things right here. Man, my time, what happened? Here's Kepha, and this, this, this is an encouragement to us. Kepha has just said, hey, listen, I'm, why am I going anywhere? And we know Kepha, he was... He was um, zealous, and people make fun of him for that. They say he was a hothead. He wasn't a hothead. He meant it. He meant it. But he had some flaws like we all do. He got scared. He got scared. And when it came time for the Messiah to be betrayed, you know, Judas walked up to the Messiah and kissed him. And I shared last night at our Seder that one of the customs of the Afikoman is you're supposed to kiss the Afikoman before you eat it. Kepha kissed him before he gave the Afikoman away. 
And so we know the story, many of us do anyway. Kepha goes to uh, follow the Messiah because he's trying to be strong, he's trying to be brave. And then somebody notices his accent because he was from Texas. <laughs> and he said, Kepha, aren't you? You're one of the Galileans, right? And he denies the Messiah three times. So I'm going to go through this really quickly. It says, because Yeshua had said, when the, when, the, when the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. But we learn from many sources that there were no chickens or roosters inside the holy city. It was not allowed by city ordinance. And besides that, the cock crow was the name of a um, man who was called the Gabini, who was the one who opened up the temple in the morning. And he was called the cock crow because they chose him because he had a very loud and boisterous voice. And it's a little bit of hyperbole, but they say that you could hear his voice all the way to Jericho when he would open up. And he would call out three things, three times. He would say, priest to your sacrifices, Levites to your service, Israelites to your worship. And so three times... Kepha denied the Messiah and at the call of the cock crow, and therefore he denied the sacrifice, he denied the service, and he denied the worship three different times. And so he's crushed. He figures he must be the carpus that Yeshua was talking about, the one that betrayed him, that he ended up dipping because maybe his name was related. I'm, I'm just saying, perhaps he was thinking about that. And I shared in the Aliyah day, and, and forgive me, I'm just going to go over by a few minutes here. I shared in the Aliyah day that the, the, one of the commentators of the Haggadah said that why is it at, this, at the Pesach Seder that every, all the little elements are seemingly mundane? There's not a lot of pomp and circumstance to it, you know? A little bit of maror, a piece of lettuce, a matzah, what's the deal? And the sages bring down, and the commentaries anyway, bring down that when God wants to have an intimate, an intimate affair with his people, the meal's very simple. At Sukkot, we have 70 offerings, and it's this big thing. But on the eighth day, when God says, all right, we fulfilled our obligation to the nations. Now it's time for me to have a little intimate time with my people. So one more day. I want to add eight. So y'all hang around. We're just going to sacrifice one bull. It's a very simple smoked brisket dinner. And the sages say that very often this happens, and they happen to mention that when a king wants to just have an intimate meal and really get to know somebody and them get to know him, he, they often cook things like fish. Something simple. So Yeshua shows up after the resurrection. He goes specifically to find Kepha. What's Kepha done? He's gone back to the water. I was called at the water. I was lost at the water. So I'm just going to return to the water. What does Messiah do? It's a big, long story about it. It's a beautiful story. But he ends up cooking a fish dinner, a fish breakfast. And he invites him to come eat. And of course, Kepha, true to self, when he sees that it's the Messiah, he jumps out of the boat and swims ashore. He gets there, he sits down with the Mashiach, everybody's scared to say anything, no one says a word. 
and they eat fish dinner. Why? Because Yeshua has, in that act, is saying, I've fulfilled my obligation to the world. Now I just want to talk to you guys. Because when y'all were just 12 in Capernaum and you wouldn't leave me, so I'm coming back to you right now. Kepha, do you love me? Yes, I do love you. Feed my sheep. Kepha, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Kepha, do you love me? Lord, why are you asking me all these times? Feed my sheep. Absolved, absolved, absolved. For the three times you denied me, now you accept me. Eat some fish. Let's talk about what your ministry is going to look like. Many, many years later, he's sitting on a rooftop in Jaffa. Probably got a gray beard by this time. Maybe not moving so quickly, so swiftly. He's been in ministry for a long, long time. And you know that that experience has been burned on his soul. He's praying. He gets caught into a trance. And Hashem shows him a sheet full of all kind of unclean, unpure things and says, Kepha, eat. And Kepha says, no. <laughs> and he says no because God says, God tests him three times and he says no three times. The first time when he was saying no, he was saying no to God, no to the Messiah. Now he's being tested again, and he's saying, no, I won't betray you. No, I won't eat something I'm not supposed to. No, no, no. I've learned my lesson. No, no, no. And he's pondering about this later, it says, trying to figure out why was he testing me with respect to what I've eaten? Because he tells God, Lord, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean, which means I have never eaten anything that was not kosher, or even if it was kosher, if it wasn't properly prepared, I didn't even eat it. So he had a very strict diet, kosher diet. And Hashem was saying to him, I'm calling you to a people that you think are not worthy of salvation, but don't call unworthy what I've called worthy. But what do we know? What do we know?